We're ready for the word. I'm going to just um, retrace steps a little bit with you, and I might be covering something that is a very familiar subject to you, but I trust that you'll get it just with a new, fresh angle. And I don't think it's a bad thing to remind ourselves every now and then concerning certain subjects in the Scripture, because we can become forgetful. That's part of the human condition. And uh, we can become jaded with life. You know, sometimes life gets to us and we can become jaded. And um, another thing is dust clings and we have to keep ourselves as being spiritual. You've got to work on it. It doesn't come naturally. Not yet, anyway. There will be a time when it will be natural. So I want to just remind you that from the beginning of the year that I spoke about the fact that I felt that one of the themes well, for us, particularly for um, this year, 2021, is that I felt like the Lord saying it was time for us to awake. If you want your dreams to come to pass, wake up. And so we need to be awake. And spiritual slumber is a reality. And it's very easy for us to slip into a sleepiness concerning spiritual things. We need to keep awake. Like in Zechariah 4, the angel came to, to Zechariah and awakened him like before, you know, because he said he was, it was as if he was asleep. And he awakened him to see spiritual truth, spiritual realities. So, you know, you can get lost in the things of life, the mundaneness of life, and yet the spiritual realities are hanging here, but we can be asleep to them. And then I spoke about the power of the new creation, the whole thing that we are in a new creation, the realities, you know, new creation realities. If it is true, and we're going to look at that passage again, if it is true that we are new creatures in Christ, the old is gone, the new has come, then we need to live in the reality of that. So what does it mean to be a new creature in Christ Jesus? Paul said we used to regard one another from an earthly point of view. We used to see each other as natural people. He said, but we don't do that anymore because since we are new creatures in Christ, since Christ died, rose again, and you put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, you have become brand new. So I can't look at you merely from an earthly point of view. I have to regard you as someone who is in Christ. Is that okay? And, and that we are together in the body of Christ. It makes us family. And, you know, we're in the same kingdom with the same purpose. So we've got to do all of those things. So now I want to just touch on something else. And just um, I could have actually put this as right at the beginning, but I didn't. But now you're getting it at the end. And this will be like the fifth message in the series. And I think then we can conclude that series. But you know that our salvation is so powerful. The word, the word, the word, the word of truth is so powerful. Jesus said it. If you come to know the truth, the truth shall set you free. Unfortunately, Lee Naika Lee of Lee and Yogi fame, Lee's father passed away this week, and we did the cremation service yesterday morning. And it was my first time being in a Hindu temple or Hindu crematorium. And, um, you know, a lot of religions have truth, but they're still not the way to God, you know. So... And uh, we did it there. But just the simple power, I was just amazed again. I left just grateful again for the fact of the truth of God's word and that we're in the kingdom. Because I shared it, ended up they gave us a half an hour. You're not allowed to have it longer than half an hour. But because some of the folks were a little bit late, I had 19 minutes to conduct a service. And I want you to know we ended exactly on time. The age of miracles has not passed. So I can do it. Most of the times I don't want to do it. <laughs> but I can do it. But for me, the awesomeness of it was to watch 
people's faces as I simply shared the truth of God's word, the power of the word, and their faces transforming. Lee phoned me yesterday afternoon. He said, Pastor John, everybody is talking about the service that you did, the 19-minute service. And he wasn't talking about how short it was that I ended up coming. <laughs> he was talking about the power of the word. And it just struck me again. And I, you know, that's not what inspired the message. Um, what inspired it was that series that I did. But it just gave me fresh encouragement when we come to the word. So I don't want to waffle too much, but let's just go on to it. Isn't it incredible that your whole Christian life, your born-again life, your spiritual life came about simply, not because of what Jesus did was simple, but because he made it so simple and so easy for us to believe. It's so simple. And Romans 10, 9 and 10 tells us that, that if we believe in our heart and confess with our mouth, he said, because when we believe it's unto justification, when we confess, it's unto salvation. So the two components, as simple as that, if I believe in my heart and confess with my mouth that Jesus is Lord, I am saved, Paul tells us in Romans 10, 9 and 10. Now, how simple is that? How much simpler can it be? So the truths of the fact that you're a new creature in Christ, all those new creation realities that I taught on last week, it all came about powerfully, profoundly. It's all true. But it came so simply the moment you said, I believe what Jesus did for me and confessed with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. Now, it sounds like Sunday school that I'm teaching now this morning. But I want to just remind us how awesome is the salvation that we have. And you did nothing for it except exercise a facility called faith that God has already put inside of you. It's given to you. So you didn't work for it. You didn't earn for it. You didn't bleed for it. You didn't die for it. You did nothing for it. You heard. Consequently, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, Romans 10, 17. So you just heard and you said, I believe. And you became a new creature in Christ Jesus. You didn't feel anything. You might have experienced something, but you did not feel that the fact that you were crucified with Christ, you did not feel that you died. You did not feel that you were buried. You may not have even felt that you were resurrected. You did experience something, and that was a life-transforming experience, but it all came about when you believe. Okay, is that all right? Is that a good enough backdrop? And um, the amazing thing about it is that God instantaneously changed you. God instantaneously changed you. You moved out of one domain into another, one kingdom to another, one state of being to another. He took you out of yourself and he put you into himself. Is that okay? You ceased to be natural. You suddenly became a spiritual person. Your destination was an eternity away from God without him in continuously dying, a condition called death and hell, and he moved you over just like that to where your eternal destiny would be with him in union with him in communion with him, and that we call heaven. It just like this changed. Just when you went, I believe, and you said something with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. Now, I'm convinced we should take the same approach to the rest of scriptures. Just simply believing it and confessing it. Amen? But anyway, let's continue. So Romans 10, 9, and 10, we've already read it. But I wanted to just go with me to Romans chapter 10, verse 3. I will be using mostly the King James translation. But Romans chapter 10, verse 3 says this. 
For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Unto. Everybody say unto. So with the heart man believeth unto righteousness. So now what is Paul talking about? Paul is talking about the fact that when I believe what Jesus did, and I confess with my mouth, Paul tells us that one of the things that happens is that I move into a state, a place of righteousness. Everybody say righteousness. Righteousness. Now I want to just remind you of this. The moment you believed, the moment you confessed with your mouth, you were or you became absolutely righteous. Isn't that good? Now you all know this. I mean, you know this, hey? Okay, so today's by way of reminder, but you are going to hear things you didn't know. So it's by way of reminder. So you became righteous. There are two things that religious Christians, and you're not religious, but Christianity in general, there's two things that all Christians are expending a lot of energy trying to attain. They are going to church to try and attain. They are giving to try and attain. They're reading their Bibles to try and attain. They fast to try and attain. They do good works to try and attain. What are the two things that all these Christians are trying to attain? They somehow want to be right with God. Number one. Number two, the second thing that every Christian is looking for is to be anointed. That's why you can commercialize the anointing. That's why apostles can charge 5,000 rand a person, you know, to pastors. You know, come and the, the, the mighty apostle will lay hands on you and you will receive the anointing. And charge them 5,000 rand. Is there a shortcut to the anointing? Well, the anointing, as far as I'm concerned, came through the cross. <laughs> the Christ, the anointed one, the Messiah. And so if we realize this whole thing about righteousness, you won't need to worry about trying to attain something. If we get this truth, you won't um, have to concern yourself with trying to get the anointing. The two things that they're all looking for. And so that's why, you know, when Peter and John raised the layman at the gate, beautiful Acts chapter 3, Peter looked at them and he said, you know, when the layman was healed, and he said, men of Israel, why are you looking at us? As if by our own power or our own godliness... This man stands before you healed. But there was a power. And there was a power of godliness that healed that man. But Peter was saying, but it's not from us. He says, this man stands before you well because of the name of Jesus. So he didn't say just because we spoke the name of Jesus, you know, because of who we are in the name of Jesus. Because we understand who we are in Christ. And because we understand we spoke the name of Jesus, coming from a place of because we know who we are in Jesus, and then this man is healed. But it's not from our natural selves. So there it is there. They were looking and going like, wow, they must be awesomely holy, these men, to heal a layman. Or like, wow, they probably fasted and prayed 375 years you know, or something like that. And he said, no, no, it was none of that. It's Christ. Are you all listening? Okay. So something that I'm going to share with you this morning, I want just to reaffirm truth and reestablish truth, okay? And so 
The two things that everyone is looking for. But we believe and it is unto righteousness. Now Romans chapter 10 verse 4. Same passage, same chapter that we've been looking at as Romans 10, 9 and 10, 10, 17. I mean the same chapter. Paul says that Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. So when you believe, suddenly, you know, seconds before, millisecond before you go, Jesus, I believe. I believe you, Lord. You know, it's like suddenly you go from sinner to saint. Suddenly you go from unrighteous to righteous. Suddenly it's like you're righteous. It's really amazing. Amen. And so I want to just elaborate on that a little bit. So Paul says this. This is the passage that we were looking for in the last few weeks. Okay, you're all going to follow 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and from verse 17. Let's read it together as it comes up on the screen. King James translation. Are you all ready? Therefore, if any man or woman be in Christ. Now I'm going to insert a word there when it comes up on the screen. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he or she is. And I want to put there in brackets. I want you to know it's not in the original. I'm putting it in. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is now. Everybody say now. A new creation. It's not something you will still become. You are it now. A new creation. The old has gone. If we can change that to King James translation. The old is gone. All things are passed away. Behold, all things. Everyone say all things. All things are become new. All things. All things gone. All things new. And all things. Everybody say all. All things are of God who hath reconciled us to himself. Everyone say reconciled us to himself. Now we're going to just pause there. There was a time where Paul tells us in Ephesians 2 we were alienated from God. We were not part of the promises that God made to Israel. We did not have citizenship in his kingdom. In fact, Paul uses a word. He says you were foreigners. We were outside of the family of God. But then he tells us, but because of Jesus, he's brought us near. The word doesn't mean that the Jews are standing here and we are standing there and we're near to them. No, no. He brought us near. He made the two one. Is that okay? But the amazing thing is, is that Paul also tells us that because of our sin, we were enemies of God. God was never our enemy, but we were his enemy. It's a big difference. But because of that, the hostility was taken away, and we were reconciled to God. Everybody say reconciled, reconciled. You've got to remember this word, reconciled. You've been reconciled with God. It means more than that we were enemies. Now we can walk up to God and shake his hand and say, okay, let's bury the hatchet, and nice to meet you, God. And now, we're, you know, like, okay, are we good with each other? <laughs> yes, we're good. It doesn't mean that. It means much more than that. It means we are reconciled to him. It means that, and we'll come back to it just now, it means that we are absolutely in union with him. We share in his being. You've got to get that. We've got to get this. I've got to get that. I don't want to say you've got to get it. We have got to get this. Is that right? Say, help me get it, Lord. Help me get it, Lord. Help me get it, you know. And we need to get this because if we do, something happens. So, right. So let's continue. Reconcile to God. And then not only that, then he turns around and immediately gives us a ministry. And he says, 
All things of God has reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. I mean, this is awesome. And then he says, to wit, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. We can say it like this. God is now in us through Christ, through us reconciling the world to himself as well. And he says, not imputing their trespasses unto them, but hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. So Paul says this. What's the next sentence? Verse 20. He says, now. Everyone say now. 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 Now we are these things. No, we're not going to become them. Now. And when did the now happen? The moment we believe. Now. We are ambassadors of Christ as though God did beseech you by us. We pray you in Christ that be ye reconciled to God. Now listen to this. Verse 21. This is the one. For he hath made him, that is Jesus, to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. I mean, this is incredible. The person who knew no sin, who was not sinful, who never sinned, took on our sin, became the sin offering for us. It's a mystery how that happened. We can try and explain it, but, but all of the sins of all of the world, all the time past, all the way, way into the future for however long that is, Jesus took all of that sin, the penalty for the sin, the punishment of that sin, the weight of that sin. He took it upon himself. And now here's the thing. The one who didn't know or have sin became sinful. Then the ones who were sinful, who were never righteous, now are righteous. I mean, that's unbelievable. I mean, Jesus didn't stay in the state of sin. Obviously, he dealt with it, and then he rose again righteous. But suddenly, the old things are gone. Yes. Suddenly now, like, where did all that sin and all that condemnation and all that ugly stuff, where did it go? Well, it went unto Jesus. Well, what happened to it? Well, he dealt with it, and he died, and, and was in the process. He took the punishment and everything for it, and, and, and then he rose again, and, and now sin is dealt with. Yeah. And he says, and I... I this, is, this blows my mind. He, he looks at the world. I mean, we look at the world and go, eh, it's sinful world. And he says, I'm not even imputing that sin against them. Because if he did, he would be judging and punishing. And just incidentally, we wouldn't have existed because he would have had to do it to us too a long time ago. So we can't be more righteous and more holy than now than the world. No, no, we've got a message of reconciliation and saying, God's not holding your sin to account. That's the good news. Won't you accept Jesus? Is that okay? And so we became righteous, righteous, righteous. And I've said it, and I know you know this. I know you know this. Everybody, you know this. The stuff that I'm talking about, you know, isn't it? But it's a good reminder. He says that we are made the righteousness of God in Christ. Now that, it, it doesn't matter how many times I say it or read it. When I look at it, I go, yeah, that's amazing. <laughs> that is incredible. But when God looks at me, it's almost like he sees his own, well, it does, not almost like, he sees his own holiness. When he looks at us, he sees the righteousness of Jesus. Now, come on, church. Come on, church. The thing that goes on in my mind is this, the thing. But I've learned to deal with it because I'm not unaware of the devil's schemes. I'm not unaware of how he works. The thing is this. This is the thing is that I see what the Scripture says, that I'm the righteousness of God in Christ. 
and I know it's going to shock you, but I know me. And I know that every now and then, you know, once every 15 years or so, I do sin. I know it's a horrible shock to you. And uh, because you thought I'd never sin. But I do. I do sin. And frequently. Because it's not only what I do, it's what I don't do. And then Paul, writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says something like that. You are the righteousness of God in Christ. Oh, my golly goodness me. This is amazing. Now, the fact of the matter is, the things that I do wrong doesn't change that truth. I need to reconcile myself to that. So the first, I'm running ahead of myself now because it's your, all your fault because you're drinking the word. So um, part of our repentance, can I tell you what part of our repentance is? When Jesus came preaching, he then committed the message to uh, John the Baptist first did, and then Jesus took over, and then he committed the same message to the disciples, and it was simply this, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand, is at hand. And um, so, which means it's here, it's arrived. So there needs to be a, a mindset change. Now, part of repentance is this. Can I tell you what part of repentance is? Part of repentance is, and for, uh, for us as Christians, is that I have to adjust my view of myself to his view of me. I'm going to say it again. Part of repentance is, and the change of mind, the mindset change is this, is that I need to change my view and my understanding of myself to God's view in God's understanding of myself. In other words, I've got to replace God's view of me with my view of me. So maybe we'll touch on a few of it. But the thing is, I'm no longer a sinner. So we don't refer to ourselves, not even as sinners saved by grace, because we are not. Because somehow that implies that there's been no change. So I'm not a sinner saved by grace. I am a saint. I'm a child of God. Sinner is not part of my description. It's not a definition that God uses for us. Everywhere in the scripture, saints, 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 sons, saints, saints, you know, ambassadors, you know, more than conquerors. The positive language of the scripture needs to become my understanding. And so we need to change. It was really amazing. The Greek lexicon describes righteousness, this kind of righteousness that I'm talking about, the state of him or her who is as they ought to be. Righteous which is the condition acceptable to God. Oh, my goodness. Woo! Amen. So this is how we ought to be because of what Jesus has done. We are now in a state or condition that is acceptable to God, and it has nothing to do with what we've done or do. It has everything to do what He's done. So somewhere, somewhere in the middle of all this truth, we've got to get to a place where we relax in the fact that I'm the righteousness of God in Christ. And what does it imply? It implies this. When I do get it wrong, when I do mess up, when I do blow it, which is often, I just need to go back to him and say, Lord, I am sorry, forgive me. Is that okay? Forgiveness is immediate. Instantaneous. And the kind of forgiveness that God gives is absolute 
where he doesn't even retain it in his memory bank. It's gone. I then have got to, number one, accept that. Number two, I've got to accept that without walking in lingering condemnation. Because that becomes a tool of your flesh and a tool of the enemy. Everybody with me? So that's what the Greek lexicon says. So now I want to just talk about, so we've established that. But let's go to another verse in the King James, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians 15 is the whole passage of Scripture that deals with the fact of the resurrection of the dead. 1 Corinthians 15 talks about the fact that every person who has died will be resurrected, basically. But for believers in particular, he talks about the fact that there will be a resurrection of our bodies. And I want to tell you, don't let people spiritualize it. Just because we haven't experienced it or seen it, don't let people spiritualize that away somehow and say, well, he's actually talking about the fact that we were born again and whatever, whatever, whatever. You know, don't let people spiritualize it. Jesus went to great lengths over a period of 40 days to give absolute convincing proofs that indeed he was resurrected. And he showed them his resurrection body, even inviting Thomas, come put your hands in the place where the wounds were, and he says, feel a spirit doesn't have flesh and bone. He showed that he could eat food. He also showed it was a supernatural, spiritually orientated body because he could appear, disappear. He could more or less go through a wall. I mean, it was a physical body that was dynamic and spiritual and different. It was a glorified body. Flesh had taken on a different capacity, a different dynamic. Is that okay? And he went at length to prove it. He said, come on, look, 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 look. And I mean, physically, bodily, he was taken up into heaven. They couldn't put their finger through him because he was a spook. He was flesh and... Okay, come on, that really is good. You can say Amen. And so, so he was flesh, flesh, flesh. So there will be a resurrection because Paul talks about it in 1 Corinthians 15. He says, we've got this body and it's one type of body, but we're going to get another body and it's going to be another type of body. It was earthly, it's going to be spiritual. And don't worry about those who've died, who've experienced corruption and the molecules and the atoms of their body has been dissipated into soil or water or burned with fire and it's been sprinkled somewhere to ash because God can gather them with his command when all the dead hear his voice and they're raised. Is that okay? So corrupt shall put on incorruption. Mortal, those who are alive, shall instantaneously, in the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, says this is the mystery, we will be instantaneously transformed and mortal shall put on immortality. Powerful. In the middle of that whole passage, in verse 34, this is what the Apostle Paul tells us. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 34. In the middle of that passage, I think it's verse 33 and 34, but I think, let me, if, if I get it right, verse 33, Paul says, don't be deceived. Bad company, there it says, evil communication. The NIV says bad company corrupts good character. Yeah. So be careful which way the influence flows. In other words, what Paul is trying to say. And he says, don't associate with bad company. It corrupts good character. Now, Right in the middle of it, he's talking about the necessity of good character. But then in verse 34, he says this, awake to righteousness. Okay, let's hold that verse. So I've taken quite a bit of time 
to remind us of a subject that we're all nodding our heads to and saying, yes, 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 we know that. We know that. We know that. We've been nodding. We've been saying, amen, we've heard it. Pastor John, we've heard you preach it. But now Paul said, saying it to the Corinthian Christians, what I want you to do is I want you to awake to this righteousness. Awake to righteousness and sin not. Listen to what Paul says. For some have not the knowledge of God or the knowledge concerning the state of righteousness. And he says, I speak this to your shame. Now, we don't have to be ashamed because you know it. And you've all agreed and said amen. And I know that, and you're correct, you're right. I know that you're telling the truth. You do understand I'm the righteousness of God in Christ. I'm his very own righteousness. But there's just very quickly three things that I want to bring out concerning that by way of reminder, just to reestablish a truth. Because if we're going to awake in the rest of this year, awake to the things of God, this is critical. This subject is critical. We need to have this tucked under the belt. We need to have it buried in our hearts. We need to have it as a mindset. Because over and over, you know, Paul talks about the fact that we've got to have this truth in mind. It's part of the renewing of the mind that we've got to have. So we've got to awake to righteousness. So amen. So everybody say, I'm awake to righteousness. And um, Paul talks about it in Philippians 3, 18 and 19. He says, for many walk of whom I've told you often and now tell you even weeping that they are enemies of the cross. Philippians 3, 18 and 19. Paul says, you live as enemies of the cross. Now, no condemnation. I'm not pointing fingers at anybody. I'm not judging you. You're all awesome. But God forbid that we get to the place where we don't understand this and we as live as enemies of the cross. I'm going to say that again. If we don't understand the fact that we are the righteousness of God in Christ, that was the purpose for which Jesus died, we become an enemy of the cross. Not condemnation. I'm not saying it's you. So we must not live as enemies of the cross because the whole purpose was the old is gone, the new has come. We are the righteousness of God in Christ. Let's wake up to that fact. Okay? And then in Second uh, Peter, in chapter 2, verse 21, uh, Peter says, For it had been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than after they've known it, to turn from the holy commandment delivered to them. It's just better to not have known it. Because when you know it, I mean, how can we walk away from something so awesome as this, so incredible as this? I'm the righteousness of God in Christ. No matter what. Is that okay? So we need to come back to our senses and to our right minds. We are now the righteousness of God in Christ. Okay, very quickly, we're heading to the conclusion, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 to 3. Paul is writing to the Corinthian church, a church that lacked no spiritual gift, nothing. All the gifts were functioning there. He had to use a large portion of his letter to tell them how to function in it properly. But he said, you lack no spiritual gift. So now, to this dynamic church, which appears to be dynamic, they're speaking in tongues, they're prophesying, they're whatever, they're doing the whole thing. I mean, if you walked in there, you would think, yo, this church is revived and on fire. But Paul says to them, I could not speak to you as spiritual. I couldn't address you as spiritual people, but 
carnal means worldly people. Yeah, they got all the gifts, but he says, but no, but you're worldly. Even as unto babes in Christ. Everybody say babes, babies. Next verse, two. And he says, I have fed you with milk. Can you all say milk? I have fed you with milk and not with meat. You were not able to bear it, neither yet now are you able to bear it. And so Paul is basically saying, as babes, there's certain conversations, there's certain truths you can't handle. So what are they? So let's go to Hebrews chapter 5. In Hebrews chapter 5, the last couple of verses, 11 to 14, Paul says this. Talking about Jesus and everything about Christ, he said there's many things to say. And sometimes it's difficult to utter these things. He says the seeing, you are dull of hearing. Everybody said dull of hearing. He says, for by this time you ought to be teachers. You have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God. You've got to be taught the first basics of, let's put that in the NIV just to make it more simple. He says, and as a result, you still need milk because you can't handle strong meat. He says, anyone who lives on milk is still an infant, is still a babe, not acquainted with, what is it? The teachings about righteousness. So your understanding concerning the righteousness of God in Christ determines your maturity. He says, if you can't take it, if you can't handle it, if you don't understand, number one, you're dull of hearing. Because if you understand it, you will be able to teach it and not to be continued being taught these things. If you are not acquainted with this and it's foreign to you or you can't grasp it or you can't accept it or you're struggling with the implementation of it in your life, Paul says you're still a babe in Christ. Because now, by now, we should be on things further along. So everybody say there is more after righteousness. I'm going to touch on that. Righteousness is unto something. But we need to get to the righteousness part. Is that right? We need to wake up to righteousness. Now, the enemy, the best tactic of the devil, that's why so much of Christianity, so much of Christendom, so many denominations have got their people trapped in performance and all kinds of things because they remind them how evil they are. And every week they come and they're trying those two things. Number one, to get right with God. I just want to be holy. I just want to be righteous. Not knowing the moment you believed, you're already righteous. You're already holy. Is that okay? And then they spend hours, countless, doing all the things that are related to Christianity, trying to get anointed, not realizing they are anointed. And they're trapped in a system because it's repeated, because their ministers don't understand. So they just repeat the process week after week after week. And those people come in and they leave. And they come in and they leave and they're in bondage. And they're infants not acquainted with meat because it's about the righteousness of God in Christ. That's why you can have successful altar calls. And every week you can get 80% of your church down the front. Because they don't understand, hey, the first time I said it, the first time I believed it, I'm right with God. And that resource for the kingdom, the resource that is called the church, that is called believers, are in bondage. And they're not exercising the ministry of reconciliation, 
We're not seeing people come to Christ because we ourselves are still in bondage. So the key weapon of the enemy, the key tool of the devil, is to keep reminding you of your sin. If he can keep you in condemnation, he's got you. He's at least bound you into infancy, where you need, always need, where always you need milk, you always need to be fed, you always need your nappy change, you always need, you're always trying to get saved, trying to get right, trying to, and you become ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of God. Amen? You can't lead anyone to that peace that the Bible talks about that we have because righteousness is immediately followed with peace. And then that is immediately followed with joy. The kingdom, he says, is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. Is that right? And so you don't have peace. Well, if you don't have peace, it's because you don't understand your righteousness. And if you don't have joy, it's because you have no peace because you you don't understand. Are Are you getting it? So awaken to righteousness. Awaken to righteousness, and I'm going to be brief with it. We're going to go back to that verse in, I think you understand that, hey. If you don't understand righteousness, at worst, you're not a believer. At best, if you don't understand it, you're an unproductive infant that needs all the time and all the attention. You can't be a teacher. You always have to be taught. Dull of hearing. Now, I know that's not true yet. I know you know the, the teaching about righteousness. So 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 34, this is what Paul says, awake to righteousness. And then he goes on, second part of that verse, and he says, and sin not. Awake to righteousness. Everyone, you say awake? awake? Awake to righteousness and sin not. Okay. In those churches that I'm talking to you about, And maybe there was a time in our lives that was like this. We would change that verse around. We would say, don't sin and be righteous. Now, come on, that's a revelation. We would say, don't sin and be righteous. No, 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 no. You are righteous. Don't sin. So why does Paul put it that way around? Why does he put it that way around? Because if we understand, if I understand When I believed in Jesus and confessed with my mouth, I immediately became the righteousness of God in Christ. Why is it so critical for us to understand Scripture the way Scripture should be taught? Why? Because number one, number one, that then gives us the power to live righteously. Because then we are living up to who we are. And we're not from a basis of being an, an unrighteous and a, a view of myself, I'm a, I'm a sinner, and then trying to get righteous. You, you're not going to do it. The Jews tried. They tried. <laughs> you know, probably the most religious people in all the world with all the laws and all the accompanying laws and all the interpretation of laws. They tried and they tried and not one could be righteous. Is that okay? Jesus comes along, puts it all aside by fulfilling it. He's the end of the law. He lives righteously, and he says, now, if you believe me, you enter into my fulfillment of it, my experience of it. Then, once that's true, then you can overcome sin. But before then, you can't. So I have to have the view. I'm the righteousness of God in Christ. That gives me the victory over sin. Now, there's plenty, plenty, plenty scriptures for it. In Romans and everywhere, there's plenty, plenty scriptures for it. Gives me the power to live the way that God wants me to live. Is that okay? So the first thing is the power. But the power should have been the second thing. (laughs) I should have given you number one first. 
But it doesn't matter. Whichever way around we look at it. So let's have a look at the first thing then. If the second thing is power, this is the first thing. Just quickly go with me to 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. 2 Peter, Peter says this, According as his divine power hath given unto us all things. Everybody say all things. You know the all things that became new? Yeah. All things that pertain unto life and godliness. So not only for my spiritual life, but my natural life, I've been given everything. How did I get that? Through the knowledge of him that called us to his own glory and virtue. So God says, here's me, here's all things. Okay? Here's you. Are you all ready? And we look at God and we see all that glory and all that virtue. So how do we enter that? The first part is, Paul says, is that we need to understand that that same glory, that same virtue, that same power, that was what gave us the knowledge. Knowledge is power. Is that okay? So now I know that. So now I can then start to enter the glory and the virtue of God. In other words, I can enter into the things that God has and God is. But let's look at the next verse, verse 2. He says, whereby are given unto us great and precious promises. Okay? So here I am. There's God. There's all the glory. There's all the virtue. His power revealed through giving Jesus his glory and virtue in described in knowledge. But at the same time, that same powerful, virtuous, glorious God gave me promises. And the promises are that I'm his righteousness. Is that okay? And when I believe all of that together, Paul says this, that I then partake of the divine nature. I don't just, you know, I don't just take a cup and dip it in the stream and drink some of the water I'm partaking, you know. I don't just pour a little bit of the wine out of the bottle and partake. No, 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 no. I'm immersed in it. In fact, I become one with it. And that's what our baptism symbolizes, is that I'm immersed in, saturated in, soaked in. And eventually it's like, you know, where's John and where's the water, you know? And so I partake in the divine nature. In other words, in the very nature of God. And when I partake in the very nature of God, what happens? I escape the corruption that is in the world through the lust of the world. So I've escaped all of that. So where am I now? Well, I'm in union with God. I participate in his divine nature. So suddenly I don't have a John nature, an old John nature, and somewhere, you know, a little bit of a God nature. No, 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 no. I only have a God nature. I participate in the divine nature. Is that okay? Through his great and precious promises by the knowledge of him, I participate in all that glory, all that virtue. So the first thing is, we participate in God. The second thing is we receive the power to overcome everything. So because of time, I'm not going to give you the armor verses concerning that participation. There's amazing verses in the Bible, you know, which talks about that in Christ dwells all the fullness of God in bodily form. And then it tells us we've been given fullness in Christ. In other words, what God put into Jesus is now put into us. Who Jesus was in God, we are now in Christ. It's really powerful. And then, of course, we have the power to do. Okay, so we're winding down. There's an amazing passage in, um, in Romans chapter 4. 
which talks about Abraham. Abraham's getting older and older and older. And certain things don't function in his body anymore. Um, the body begins to shut down. And that age, at that stage, his wife also is advancing in years. And a lot of things shut down in her body as well. The biological clock has ticked. It's hit its peak. It's gone past. And, uh, and then God comes to them at probably the most impossible time in their lives. And uh, he didn't come too early. He came late. And it always seems God comes late. Okay, that's a revelation. Very seldom does God come early and shock you and go like, oh, I didn't even ask. I wasn't even thinking of it, but this is really nice. Most times God comes late. <laughs> and so it was late. It was late in their lives. They shouldn't even have been thinking about it. But God says, you're going to have a baby. You're going to have a child. You're going to have a son. And I'm going to bless all the nations of the world through you. The Bible tells us about Abraham in hope against hope he believed. It tells us another thing. It says he didn't even consider the state of his own body. Okay, now this is, I'm giving you a key, all right? Everybody said this is a key. I don't want to give you so many keys and not show you where the doors are. <laughs> but this is another key truth. It says he didn't consider his own body, but he believed in the one, the believed in the God who told him that this is going to happen. And Paul makes a point of saying his faith was reckoned to him as what? Righteousness. So what happened? He participated in the divine nature. He didn't consider his own body, and then the miracle happened. So that's the power. Is that okay? And so if we get it the right way around and we say, I'm the righteousness of God of Christ. I believe. Well, God says it's imputed to you. You are the righteousness. Then I don't regard my own body when it wants to misbehave and sin. I don't listen to it. Do you understand the parallel that I'm drawing? And I don't listen to it because I have the power to overcome it and the transformation takes place. So then the third and the last thing, I'm just going to wrap it up very quickly. The third thing. The first thing is participation in the divine nature. That comes from awaking to righteousness. Number second, we have the power to live the Christian life, not only to overcome sin, but to live in peace and joy and all of those other kinds of things. Third thing, everybody say it with me, proof. Proof. So the first is participation. Second is power. And the third result of awakening to righteousness is proof of the fact that you're the righteousness of God in Christ. You become a proof producer, Morris or Sorella used to say. Isn't it interesting that people come to church or it might happen at your workplace or wherever. But let's just say it's church. We give a call and just say, how many people want healing? And then I say, oh, so-and-so come up, so-and-so come up, so-and-so come up. And maybe that particular Sunday I say, would you come up here and come and pray? And in the journey from there to here or there to here or there to here, in the journey as you're walking up, you're quickly checking your life out. And it's like, Oh, Jesus, I, I haven't really read the Bible this week, and I haven't really prayed much. Oh, Jesus. Now, there's a lot of laughs, because I know that's how you used to be. Is that okay? But you're walking up, and you're going like, oh, Jesus, oh, Jesus. And then you suddenly remember how you got cross with someone, how the taxi driver irritated you, or something happened. And isn't it amazing? You were not thinking about it at all. It wasn't even in your conscious thinking, your conscious brain, until I said, come up and pray for the sick person. And suddenly, here it is. Ta-da! Okay, this is now practical theology, isn't it? Let's change the scenario a little bit. So you hit a difficulty, 
and things don't go the way that you thought, and uh, the breakthrough hasn't come, or something like that's happened. And then one of the very first things, they're just like, oh, so disappointed. You were so sure that you begin to introspect, and you begin to look into your life, and da-na-na-na. The first question that we ask ourselves is, what have I done? Finish it for me. Wrong. Yeah. What have I done wrong? First, first question. First question. Can you see the success of the enemy awake to righteousness? I remember Prophet Quiver saying to me that the first time he was called to pray for a dying person, he said, yeah, brother, the devil preached to me all the way from home, all the way to the hospital. <laughs> that he was preaching to me, preaching all my sin. He says, I cannot tell you how when I entered the hospital and I saw the state of the person laying there, he said, how suddenly fear gripped me. Because he got into a place of condemnation. He said, fear gripped me. And I'm like, oh God, why? What a successful strategy the enemy has in reminding you of your sin, pointing it out. Now we've got to start understanding the devil's tricks. He is the accuser of the brethren. But we have an advocate. It is his job. He would be a useless devil if he didn't do his job. I think God would have fired him by now and pointed another devil. You know, unless he lived in South Africa, because it doesn't matter what you do wrong, you won't get fired. Especially if you're stealing money up there. Nothing's going to happen. So here's the devil. He's got to do it. Why? Why is it necessary for the devil to be around? Because he exposes weaknesses in us that we need to strengthen. When that happens, what you need to do is to turn around and go, thank you, devil, for that reminder. Ha! It means the opposite is true. I am the righteousness of God in Christ. Until it becomes not even an issue. Until when he's hanging around the hospital or hanging around somewhere, and he goes like, yeah, it's a waste of time trying it on, on him or her. You know, they know the truth. Let me go and work. Let me find another victim. Let me, go, let me go and try the strategy. How do you think? How many of you have ever felt that? How many of you have ever? A lot of you are not being honest. I think every hand can go up. Okay, let's all be honest now. Let's all be honest. Okay, let's not all be lazy. Let's all be honest and say, you've experienced it, haven't you? Well, why have you experienced it? Because it's successful and it works. And it works every single time. And the thing is, the moment you buy that, you move out of faith and you move on to feelings. The moment you buy that condemnation or that accusation, subtly you shift out of faith into feelings. Can I say it without condemning you? You move to the place where you're not a friend of the cross, an enemy of the cross. And I'm trying not to overstate it to make you feel bad. Okay, I don't want to do the devil's work for him. But we've got to get back to the friendly side of the cross and go, no, 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 because of the cross, I'm the righteousness of God in Christ. In that walk, you know, the long walk to freedom. In that walk, what you need to do is to remind yourself of who you are in Christ. You need to remind yourself of your righteousness. You need to reinforce that principle and get it established. In that moment, you need to take victory over the enemy. Is that okay? And get back to faith. 
There was something else I was going to say about it. But if we go, and I'm just going to mention it. I'm just going to mention it because now our time is up. I'm just going to mention it. In 2 Peter chapter 1, after verse 3 and 4, Peter reminds us. He says, when we participate in the divine nature, it's because of faith. Because then he goes on to say, make every effort to add to your faith. But because you participate in the divine nature, you are empowered. So now you can. Now you can add to your faith. He says, virtue to virtue, knowledge to knowledge, temperance to temperance, patience to patience, godliness, verse 7. And to godliness, brother, kindness, brother, kindness is love or charity, verse 8. And he says, for if these things be in you, and they will come because you have the power to do it, they make that you neither be barren nor unfruitful. You become a proof producer in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Look at verse 9. But he that lacketh these things, if you don't have the power inside you to add to your faith all those things, look at what Peter says. It's because you are blind. You cannot see afar off. In other words, you cannot see what your destiny is, and you've forgotten. I'm going to put it in the words of the NIV. You've forgotten that you were forgiven from your old sins, your past sins. You've forgotten it because the enemy has reminded you. Is that okay? All right, so all of this stuff now. So Pastor John, bring it to conclusion because your time is up. So here it is. So what, where to now? We, so we awaken to righteousness. If you awaken to righteousness, you remind yourself that you participate in the divine nature. You're reminding yourself of you do have the power to be a conqueror, an overcomer. You do have the power to be in peace and enjoy and all of these kind of things. Do not be afraid and do not be fearful. And um, not only that, but then suddenly you begin to produce fruit. Because after all, he is the vine and we are the branches. After all, that union with him means that fruit automatically results. Is that okay? It means I can deal with things completely quickly and accurately because I've repented and I've adjusted my view of myself to God's view of myself. And I can deal with it very quickly. So I don't wallow in condemnation, but I can stand up in victory. So here it is. So from this point onwards, what does Paul say? This point onwards, he said, since you live by the Spirit, let's keep in step with the Spirit so you can walk in the Spirit. It's amazing. I don't know if you've ever experienced it. Is that the moment the condemnation hits you, how quickly you sort of come out of the Spirit into the natural. Instantaneously, you fall from a spiritual-minded place. And that place of experiencing the flow of the anointing. And so that's why Paul says, you foolish Galatians, who's bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I want to know one thing from you. He says that God give you the Spirit and work miracles amongst you because of what you did or because of what you believed. Because of what you believed about the cross, which is righteousness. Is that okay? He says now he gives you the Spirit. He ministers the Spirit to you because of faith resulting in righteousness. So we lose the ministration, the, the continuous supply of the Spirit because somewhere along the line, We've got dull as far as righteousness. So church, in Jesus' name, let's awake to righteousness. Amen. The Lord bless you. The Lord keep you. The Lord be gracious to you. The Lord be merciful. The Lord be good. The Lord provide for you. The Lord heal you. The Lord give you every breakthrough that is needed. And I like what Ancorsi said. 
you always receive a harvest off of your giving, though sometimes it's delayed. But a delay is not God's denial. It's just a delay. And we can trust the omniscience of God and the power of God. We can trust God so much that if the harvest is not immediate, what he's telling you is you will get through. If it's not immediate, it means you're going to make it. What it means is that God is retaining it for a future time when it's really necessary. In due season, you shall reap. Is that okay? And so if I sow now and I don't see anything instantaneously, it's because it's not the due season for that seed. Okay, but the seed will come. So I bless you with that in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together. And uh, I just want you to just take 30 seconds. And I want you just to talk to the Lord and to yourself. And just remind yourself that you are the righteousness of God in Christ. Amen. Awaken to righteousness. Awaken to righteousness in Jesus' name. So Father, as we're standing here, Lord, our hearts are uplifted. Our attention is given to you. Lord, we're listening and we're just reflecting and reminding. Forgive us, Lord, for wherever we've given into the voice of the enemy to condemn us and to tell us that we're wicked. Forgive us for anywhere where our language has not been consistent with the word that we are saints, we are children of God, that we are washed and that we are cleansed. God, help us to learn very quickly and to recognize quickly the strategy of the enemy. Lord, we can awaken to righteousness and sin not. Because we have the power inside us. Because we participate in God. We have resident power inside of us. And Lord, we naturally produce fruit. In Jesus' name. Amen.